Hey guys, this is Kevin, and before we get into the episode, I want to give you a heads up that this was kind of a one-off that I did with Greg Stewart on Google Hangouts, and I might do some more of these in the future as kind of supplements to the main episodes that we do for more follow-up or more discussion on the game that we covered. Obviously, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of great people be associated with the show now, so it is good to get other opinions on some of this stuff and people with more history and more experience with the content so this is going to be me and greg talking for about an hour about sega sonic uh, the early history of sega in the united states and much more lots of great stuff and i hope you can join us on the next google hangout when we have them make sure to follow me on twitter twitter.com slash kevin larrabee that's l-a-r-r-a-b-e-e we're also at back in my play make sure that you are up to date and you can join in on these and ask the questions to the guests or to myself if you want to just talk about some retro gaming stuff so hope you enjoy it and thanks as always for listening take care And we're live. So, uh, welcome to uh, the interesting back in my play hangout where we're going to be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, among other things, with Greg Stewart of the Player One Podcast. Greg, how you doing? Great. So you're used to this. You're used to the Google Hangout thing. Yeah, I was just uh, <clears throat> reminding my wife that uh, we're, we're going to be broadcasting video because she was laying on the couch that's behind me there in her, in her pajamas. It's like I don't think you want. Uh, <laughs> You know, well, I mean, this is your show, so the world. I don't think you want the world to see. Yeah, this is this is going to be interesting to to see how it goes because we have a live Q and A going, and we're also going to be uh, streaming on YouTube. So if people don't have a Google account, if you're one of the five percent of the people out there that don't have use Gmail and any, or any of that stuff, uh, you can submit questions to at back in my play on Twitter, or uh, you can you know just go to your favorite Google website and sign up for a Google account because everyone has your information anyway. So uh, how I want to start this off is is really, uh, A, we're, we're, I'm talking to you because for better or worse, and we've gone back and forth through email about this, but you're kind of like, like if I'm making a roster of people who I'm thinking about emailing for, for episodes, if I'm going to talk about Sega, I forgot I should talk to Greg because of Generation 16 and uh, clearly from uh, anyone that listens to the Player One podcast, uh, you are a fan of Sega from the past and present. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's, why, that's not why you're here, but I, I want to start off by talking to you about Generation 16 because that's one of the... Uh, you know my favorite things that you guys do. I love listening to the Player One podcast, but also uh, Generation 16. You put a ton of time and effort into this, uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. If people don't remember uh, from it the first time that you were on, and any updates that you have going on with Generation 16. Sure thing. So Generation 16 is uh, is actually inspired by uh, something that a lot of other people are probably familiar with, which is the Crontendo series done by a guy who calls himself uh, Dr. Sparkle. Um, <clears throat> he actually came out with that around the same time that I was considering 
you know, wouldn't it be cool now uh, to do sort of a chronological or just chronicle all of the games on the Sega Genesis? Um, because I feel like, uh, you know, like retro games have become a thing now. Obviously, with your podcast is a good example of it. You know, covering old games is, is kind of a popular thing to do right now. But generally, especially in North America, when you're covering old games, it's very Nintendo-centric. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I grew up on Nintendo as well. I mean, that's what got me into video games. But I always found like the, I found that the Sega side of the North American uh, equation has always been very underserved. And you consider what the Genesis did as far as Nintendo's stranglehold on the uh, North American market in the late 80s. Uh, so... That's what I did. I put together a huge database of uh, all the Genesis games out there and just started a series called Generation 16, which chronicles um, each Genesis game that's released, Mega Drive game that was released in chronological order, uh, five games an episode, and I'm working on episode 12 right now. Sorry, I'm muting myself as I uh, type furiously to uh, do an update real quick. Yeah, for people that are asking questions, we just had a bunch of people jump on. Uh, you can ask questions through the Q&A uh, app that is part of the Google Hangouts, or you can send them to, and just see people doing it right now, you can send it to at Back in My Play as well. And that's uh, a great point that you bring up because uh, there are uh, retro podcasts out there. I, I think Retronauts is really at the top, and uh, whenever Sega has really come up on there, uh, it's always gotten some love, but probably not the you know the love of people that really uh, were passionate about the the Sega franchises out there. It was a lot of, you know, the music wasn't as good as the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it as much. There, the ports on the Sega Genesis weren't as great, and uh, less focusing on uh, really some very good titles that were on the Sega Genesis that weren't even on the Super Nintendo. A lot of hidden gems that. Uh, for me, growing up with the Super Nintendo as my primary platform, uh, I am still discovering now thanks to your videos. So uh, cool. I think it is just going to be great to continue to spread the Genesis love. Yeah, and the other thing that I really try to cover in the series is is not just you know going one game to the next sort of in a vacuum, but I try to put it all into context um, along with you know the the, the environment that the games were released into, also kind of what Sega Japan and Sega of America in particular were doing and Sort of just just what the the whole atmosphere was in the video game industry, especially on the American side. Well, talk a little bit about that because you were you were working in the industry when Sega was still producing video games for a console that they produced. So, I mean, even what was the vibe back then for you? Did you kind of feel like at the uh, you know at the major publishers, Sega wasn't getting the love or wasn't getting know the hype for a cover story that a Super Nintendo or later on a PlayStation game would get. Yeah, I mean when I really started working in the industry, it was it was toward the end of Sega as a console manufacturer it was in the Dreamcast days when I started getting when I got a real gig. Um, I was doing some fan site stuff before that on the Saturn, but um, honestly, I, I couldn't point to any any company but Sega as far as them getting out of uh, console manufacturing. They the company did its its utmost to screw itself out of uh, being a console manufacturer. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think actually back in the day, uh, when you're talking the 16-bit era, Genesis was getting a lot of love. Um, it took a while uh, because, you know, they came into something like a, uh, Nintendo had like a 95% market share in uh, the U.S. So, I mean, you know, if you're an Acclaim or... or, or uh, 
electronic art. Well, electronic arts is actually a bad example, but if you're in Acclaim or Capcom or Activision or or Konami or anybody like that, why would you bother uh, making games for the Genesis? But that's kind of the thing that I cover in the series, and one of the things that I loved about that generation in general is that you watched Sega actually come up from nothing and pull even with Nintendo and actually, you know, the competition that that created, not only among the third parties, but between those two companies themselves, was it was amazing. It was an amazing time for games. Well, let's talk about one of the pivotal points in the history of video games when we talk about console wars today being between Microsoft and uh, Sony and Nintendo to a lesser extent. They're kind of looking for their own path to uh, selling some consoles. Uh, back then, it was the Genesis coming out in 19, uh, you know, roughly, I think in America it was 1990? 89. It was 89. 80, okay, 89. So uh, at that time, the NES was still out. The Super Nintendo was a couple years away. And like you said, they were trying to make their own uh, market for themselves. One of the big franchises that got them on the map and really got consoles and the house seemed to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Were, were there any main titles before that besides, like, the, you know, bring the arcade into your house. Uh, was Sonic the big, like, first game developed for the Genesis that, you know, was a major seller for them? Um, I mean, it was definitely on a whole other level. But I think before that, um, that's actually one of the very cool things I think about Sega of America. Like, when you're talking about 89, 90, uh, and, and into 91, uh, like the pre-Sonic uh, generation, basically... The whole bring the arcade home thing was a big deal in Japan. That was kind of how they marketed the Mega Drive in Japan, and it didn't go all that great because <clears throat> they were up against the PC Engine as well as the Famicom. And as far as North America, you got to remember with on the NES. <clears throat> I mean, yes, the Genesis was sixteen; it was a sixteen-bit machine, but the NES there were some heavy hitters coming out on that system in the late '80s and early '90s. I mean, you're talking like Mario Three, mm -hmm. you're talking the Mega Man games and the Turtles games and stuff like that. So. They still had a major uphill battle, but the thing that Sega of America did that was totally different was they went head-to-head. -head. They started, you know, they had the whole Genesis does what Nintendo don't. Everybody remembers that ad campaign, and that was really bold at the time. That's not something that you saw happen ever. Um, so they were basically saying, like, you know, here's the NES, here's what it looks like, here's the Genesis, it looks better. And then on top of that, what they did in the U.S. that they weren't doing in Japan is they actually went out and started signing a bunch of uh, celebrities to um, basically endorse a bunch of different games. You know, like the, the baseball game that Sega released in Japan as Super League came here as Tommy Lasorda, and the baseball game that, uh, that Sega released in Japan, or the, sorry, the golf game that Sega released in Japan came here with, um, I'm totally blanking, but a major golf <laughs> personality. Um, you know, you had Pat Riley, you had Ayrton Senna later on, you had a bunch of big names that they basically, by doing that, they uh, made those people de facto spokespersons for the Genesis. And you actually saw commercials where it was just a montage of all these people like Joe Montana, Michael Jackson, talking about how great the Genesis was in this quick, fast, cool commercial. And um, so before Sonic, Sonic took them to the next level, but they actually made a dent uh, in this market with that really ag aggressive marketing campaign with games that were decent. Um, there weren't a lot of really great Genesis games until probably the late 1990. But um, they they managed to sell something like a million consoles in that first year and a half, which was, was nothing to sneeze at. 
Yeah, if you watch Generation 16, you can see a lot of the games that you cover at the start are uh, the arcade ports um, mm -hmm. and, you know, the, your Super Thunder Blaze and things like that. Uh, Altered Beast was the game that uh, was, was the first thing that I ever saw in a Sega Genesis, and even that, uh, well, while we look back on it maybe as kind of a, a joke, people always make fun of the game, uh, <laughs> it blew me away at the time, and I was was dying to get my hands on something like that. Uh, so it, it, it worked for me as a, let's see, in 19, not even 1990, I was four years old. So Damn. it worked on my brain to to want a Sega Genesis, but uh, let's. Uh, what we're gonna do? When we we have some Q and A stuff coming in right now, so uh, what we will do is sprinkle these in throughout the show. So if you want to start throwing those in there, and we're also getting uh, some more stuff on Twitter, we will do that. So this is a little bit of uh, jumping the gun, but. Uh, Jim Cole wanted to ask your favorite Sonic stage music of all time. Do, do you have one? It's got to be uh, the Green Hill Zone. I mean, it's just sure. such yeah. an iconic tune, right? It's it's mm -hmm. when you think Sonic, that's what you think, and and so many of us have played. Well, I mean, you pick up Sonic and you play it for a few minutes. You play through the Green Hill Zone, and that is Sonic. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's got to be that. Uh, let's jump into another question from George. Uh, Greg, what will you do after you finish Generation 16? I feel like at the speed I'm going, I'm probably going to have, have to hand Generation 16 off to my kids at some point. Um, hey, it's like put it in the will, man. Yeah, exactly. Now, if, if I'm able to finish Generation 16, which I really hope I am, um, I would love to go move on and do Saturn. I really would. I, I, I also have a major love for that system, so... Well, again, something that's really hard to to find good footage of, uh, and probably doesn't get the love that it deserves. It was a big, uh, the, the the most I ever heard about the Sega Saturn was the talk of people importing stuff from Japan, just because the support uh, in America probably wasn't uh, as good for the hardcore gamers. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, and it's funny that you say that because that's sort of the love that I have for that system. That was the system that I started importing games on. Um, mm -hmm. Me and my friends all did that uh, switch you could install where you had to break some wires and solder a few different switches, a few different wires on to make a switch. And we started importing games like crazy. But it was all because it was there was like this major power shift at the end of the Genesis through to the Saturn. During the Genesis years, Sega of America had unbelievable freedom to do whatever they wanted, basically. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we, we shifted into the Saturn, that was pretty much Sega of Japan taking power back. And uh, I think you could see the result. Yeah, it sucks. Um, so let's... Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, with Generation 16, are you going to go into the 32X and the Sega CD since they did kind of push, you know, they were connected to that Genesis in some form. They were kind of on the side or on the top. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, nice. uh, 32X and Sega City are both on the list. <sighs> Have fun. Um, long, long, long road. <laughs> so that that's one of the questions. And we'll, we're going to talk about Sonic in a second, but the, one of the questions that I wanted to, to ask you, because I always am toying with the idea of getting a Sega CD, because it has a unique library of, of games. It has clearly, uh, what people will say maybe the best or one of the top two or three Sonic games that are that were ever produced. Mm -hmm. uh, and also it has the classics like Night Trap and other FMV games <laughs> up there. So uh, with it with the understanding that 
every time I look on eBay, it's first off, it's hard to find a working Sega CD. I think it mm-hmm. seems like those things are degrading right now. Uh, with that being said, is it worth dropping the money on a Sega CD? And if so, what are some of the games that, if I did invest in one, these are the games you have to check out, whether they're good or whether they're just important to the Sega CD experience? Sure. I mean, uh, there's. I, I saw this. Uh, I saw somebody ask this question earlier as well, and I kind of ran down a quick list. It's. It turned. It actually ended up longer than I expected. Um, but just to run through, I mean, you got Sonic CD, you've got Snatcher, which is uh, a Hideo Kojima game, uh, which people would know from Metal Gear. It's a digital novel. Also, the only way you could play that game in English was on the Sega CD. In fact, it was only released in, in America on the Sega CD. It never actually came out in Japan. Um, Batman Returns is fantastic, especially for the dragon, driving stages and the music. Um, Earthworm Jim uh, Special Edition on the Sega CD. Uh, Echo the Dolphin, Final Fight CD, Flashback, Jaguar XJ220 is a great racing game. My favorite version of Jurassic Park was on the Sega CD. Uh, it's a, it's actually a point-and-click adventure game. Uh, the Lunar RPGs, two of the best RPGs in the 16-bit years. Uh, the best version of NHL 94, as far as I'm concerned. Um, then you got the the full motion video. You said uh, Night Trap, which it's not a good game, but you kind of got to play it. Sewer Shark, kind of along the same lines. Road Avenger is awesome. Prize Fighter is probably the best full motion video game out there. Um, Robo Alesta for a shooter. Shining Force CD. Uh, Age 3 Thunderstrike. Core made a lot of really good games on the Sega CD as well, and that's probably the best one they made. It's a 3D uh, helicopter sim. So there's a lot of good games out there to grab. They're, they're, you gotta, you got to experiment. you got to take chances on the Sega CD, but... Uh, but I'm personally crazy about that system. It's got a, it's got a good library. You, you just, the crap is really crap. Like, <laughs> there's kind of a big gulf between what's good and what's terrible on that system. I left a copy of uh, while they were at GDC. I left a copy of Night Trap for the Japanese Sega CD at the A4 offices. I'm hoping that they head down and uh, to local used shops, pick up a Sega CD or find like a CDX or something like that to, to play that thing on. But um, it's still a, a classic in the sense of uh, it is still referenced. Uh, when everyone's ta- whenever anyone uh, talks about a Sega CD, they talk about the, the night traps and the sewer sharks. And uh, even I, I, the only thing I remember playing on a Sega CD at my friend's house was NBA Jam, which was it felt super close to arcade quality, but again, that was coming from playing it on the Super Nintendo. Yep, for sure. I mean, in Night Trap, you go back to that, like all the ESRB ratings you see on your video games today, you can trace that directly back to Night Trap. Literal historic, uh, historical importance right there. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, the main thing that we were going to do this hangout for was to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog because obviously we, we did an episode on it uh, this past weekend, and uh, not immediately after that, I think it was a day after, um, you were starting to drop some knowledge on me in terms <laughs> of like really what the whole development process was for Sonic the Hedgehog and what uh, the the goal was for Sega when it came to creating this character. So I, I would love to kind of hand it off to you for a little bit and just uh, talk a little bit about uh, the stuff that you mentioned in that uh, email. Sure. Well, I mean, the um, probably the key thing uh, to know about Sonic, which is pretty common knowledge now, but you mentioned earlier that you know Sega was bringing the arcade home with the Genesis, and then over here they 
after the sports genre, which worked out really well for them. But um, I don't think there there didn't seem to be any illusions about the fact that they needed some something to battle Mario, which is exactly what Sonic was. Although the character came after the idea to create a game to battle Mario, and it was basically something that was called Project Million Seller internally. And what what Sega did, Sega of Japan put out the word that they were looking for a mascot that could take on Mario. And uh, what ultimately got chosen was actually a character created by uh, Naoto Oshima, um, who did create Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, but it was a rabbit. Um, so Sega actually decided to pick a rabbit character. Um, and they went to Yuji Naka, who was a programmer who'd been with Sega for years. He'd done Master System games and things like that. Um, he had just come off completing uh, the Ghouls and Ghosts port for the Genesis, which was fantastic. It was really well done. So they basically went to him and gave him the option to create this game that was going to beat Mario. And he was a big Mario fan based on interviews that I've read. He was he basically said that at the time he was playing Mario and he loved it, but he wished that he could finish the game faster. He wanted to go faster. Apparently a big uh, car fan and stuff like that too. So the two of the, these guys got together and they created a game. And... Um, Naka had created an engine that could run really quick, really fast, maybe the fastest game you'd ever played, that sort of thing. Um, and they started building a game around this rabbit character. Uh, the problem that they ended up having, one, one of the game, the, one of the play mechanics was that the rabbit was going to be able to grab things with his uh, ears and throw them back at enemies. Which, when you're making a game where the idea is to go really fast, that really broke the flow. Um, and the other thing that Nako was really keen on was making um, simple gameplay, single-button gameplay. So the team uh, at this point, uh, one of the main players was also uh, Hirokazu Yasuhara. Um, they were all in there. They were all working on it together and basically decided, okay, this rabbit character is not going to work. And they whittled down more choices to uh, an armadillo and a hedgehog, deciding that if they were going to have single-button gameplay, that would mean that the jump would also have to double as an attack. So they needed an animal that would naturally be able to attack while it was jumping. So they considered, like, you roll into a ball, you look at an armadillo, obviously, armored skin, that would work. Or you look at a hedgehog, which was another character that uh, Oshima had drawn, done a sketch on earlier, um, and that would work because of his spikes. They ultimately settled on the hedgehog because uh, it was more aggressive. Hedgehog had spikes, so it could be an attack. Armadillo, when it rolls up, it's defending itself, basically, was, was the thinking. So they switched it up, and they went with the hedgehog. And based on some interviews that I read recently, they didn't actually tell Sega that they went with the hedgehog at first. They just started building the game around him, uh, but received unanimous support when they finally showed their bosses what they were doing. And that was... Basically, um, as far as I understand it, through the different research I've done, how the story goes, um, they, it was a game that was meant to destroy Mario. They needed to do something. Back then, and, and I don't know if people really realize this nowadays, but back then, all these companies were looking for mascots. Everybody wanted their own Mario. Um, Konami had uh, Rocket Knight. Um, Sunsoft tried it with Arrow the Acrobat. Um, there was just a bunch. You get tons of these little animal-based character platforming games, and the whole idea was is that somebody was trying to hit on their next Mario, and this was Sega's attempt. Apologies for the the pausing and the the muting. I think my dishwasher is a little bit too loud for the the <laughs> microphone. But um, yeah, a couple of things that that really stood out to me when 
uh, I was doing research for for the episode was uh, the the advertising, the way Sonic was was advertised uh, to gamers seemed to be almost not revolutionary, but it was it was totally different than the way uh, other companies were were doing ads. Later on, we saw more extreme, like 1994, like extreme ads, and like this mm-hmm. is the most extreme game that you're ever going to play. But uh, you know, back in 1991, seeing uh, things in uh, GamePro or EGM where the ads were set up where Sonic was going so fast, he was so crazy that it actually you had to buy four pages of advertising to actually <laughs> advertise for Sonic the Hedgehog. So I, was there anything that uh, stood out for for you when it uh, came to the advertising? Do you remember anything uh, that was particularly uh, crazy or inventive when it came to trying to sell Sonic to kids? Well, it wasn't just Sonic so much for me, but, um, you know, we were just talking about the way that Sega sort of tackled the NES with the Genesis, where they basically said, here's a 16-bit system, you put it side by side, it does, you know, it looks ten times better, and it's got all these arcade games, and then you, you went into the sports games and stuff like that. And it's funny, because when the Super Nintendo came out, for all intents and purposes, there's no way that the Genesis was going to win a head-to-head comparison with the Super Nintendo, right? It had better music, it had much more colors, it had, I think, a better resolution, it had Mario, you know, so it had all this stuff that Sega really couldn't compete with, and I think it was a stroke of genius and pure luck as well that they happened to be creating a game that was extremely fast, because that was pretty much the only thing the Genesis really had over the Super Nintendo was the clock speed, and who the hell's going to know what you're talking about when you say, we have a faster clock speed? Right, but they took it and they ran with it, and basically for the next two years, the the advertising was, we're faster, our games are faster. Look at Sonic; the screen can't even keep up with him. He's so fast, right? And it just it stuck and it sold and it worked, and that along with um, packing Sonic in and having a lower price point too. So I mean, it wasn't just Sonic, but he was the linchpin in all that. He, they took they went from the sports games and the 16-bit versus 8-bit to speed, pure speed. If you put stills side by side, nine times out of ten, the Super Nintendo version of anything is going to look better. But get them running. Sonic is super fast. Super Nintendo can't do this. The 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 main focus of back in my play is is the personal story. So I w- I would love to ask you what what was your first experience with Sonic the Hedgehog? When was the first time that you uh, got you, you started to notice it. Were you at the, the launch of the Sega Genesis on day one and this was just the next release for you? No, I was a, I was a Nintendo kid. Um, we, my brother and I got an NES in the mid-80s and I was crazy for the Nintendo. Um, and I was a subscriber to Nintendo Power and all that stuff, poured over every page. And I was dying for the Super Nintendo. I wanted the Super Nintendo so bad. And it was taking too long. Um, the Genesis, like, I was pl- I was buying other magazines as well, EGM and GamePro and stuff like that, and it's like, these Nintendo games are awesome, but man, did the Genesis games look good. And uh, I actually ended up renting the system um, not too long before Sonic came out, and Super Monaco GP was the game that sold me, actually, on the Genesis. Uh, I love that game so much, I'm a big racing fan, that uh, I ended up buying it based on that. And I actually, I knew Sonic was coming, and it looked really cool, I actually bought the system a month before they packed Sonic in. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and they dropped the price. So I was a bit of a sucker there, but I just had to have the thing right away. But then Sonic came out, and I bought it, and it was, I mean, 
you know, it was unreal. It was like nothing else. It all worked out. Yeah, I was happy. any at the time in america or even in north america were, were there any sega genesis themed magazines i remember just always getting uh my coverage because i i'd never knew like about egm until like 2001 because i was just under this i just somehow started subscribing to game pro and we obviously had nintendo power so i was getting all my sega genesis info from game pro was there anything out there dedicated for the sega genesis yeah, there was. Sega itself actually put out uh, its own version of a Nintendo Power-style magazine called Sega Visions. Uh, it started in 1990. Um, it, it sort of fluctuated between like a quarterly and a bi-monthly magazine. It kind of just came out whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a marketing rag. Uh, but, you know, you got a little bit of inside knowledge and you got a little bit of early scoop on things. Like when they signed Joe Montana early 1990, they were talking about it in Sega Visions, the first issue of Sega Visions that it was coming out, and you're getting a look at like Michael Jackson's Moonwalker and stuff like that. That was the era that, that Sega Visions really happened. I think it lasted right up till around the, the beginning of the Saturn, so it lasted probably four or five years. Um, outside of that, <clears throat> I remember uh, Sendai, the EGM people, doing Mega Play. Um, but that was sporadic as well. They did they did console specific one offs all the time. Um, I forget what they called the Super Nintendo magazine, but Mega Play was the one that they did. So I, I bought a couple issues of that. But outside of that, no, there wasn't a ton of there really wasn't a ton of big uh, Sega coverage. For me, the magazine that really covered Sega well was uh, Game Fan. They were hardcore Sega nerds to the point that it was actually a little ridiculous. Um, but if you were into the Genesis and the Sega CD in particular, you waited every month for Game Fan because they were going to have all the information and they were going to gush over it like nobody's business. So uh, that that was pretty much for me. That was the Sega magazine. <laughs> I miss being able to to think that there were just so many. I, I guess now there are blogs. I guess there's the you know all the different outlets for whether it's IGN or, or whatever was one up or Kotaku or Joystick that there there doesn't seem to be a I guess there aren't really console themed uh, blogs except like Nintendo World Report. I don't know where I'm really going with this. I guess I'm just saying like I miss like those console specific magazines. I got in really late with uh, official Dreamcast magazine, but mm. every single month I got that I was I was locked into to that magazine, and you got the great demo disc when when they were starting to do that. Uh, this is just me being uh, a little bit uh, nostalgic, unfortunately. 
those those magazines were great though because you you got to kind of live in your bubble. I mean, yeah. you know, like you were you were well, what in the, for the Dreamcast you were in your teens, right? Yeah, thirteen. So, yeah, I mean, I was in my early twenties, but I had the same sort of the same sort of experience with like the Super Nintendo and the Genesis and things like that, where you know, you on the playground, man, it was one or the other. You were Nintendo or you were Sega, and and when you got these magazines, you got to pour over and you got to kind of revel in the Genesis, or you got to revel in the Super Nintendo or, or with Nintendo Nintendo Power. It's like you know, nothing else exists outside of the Nintendo bubble, and it's just a hundred pages of oh my god, look at all these great screenshots and all these cool games coming. I, I loved it. I mean, I miss I miss the monthly magazines, but uh, they couldn't exist the way they did then because information flows so freely and so quickly now that it's not, it's, it would never be the same as getting that magazine every month and pouring over every page and looking at every screenshot really closely. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, it seems so much more fun back then. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it seems like today it is a, uh, sometimes things leak, but it's, it's so, I guess it was really PR focused back then too. The PR, mm. uh, you know, people had a lot of control over when things came out with embargoes. You were blissfully unaware about it. Exactly. And, yeah. and now you just hear things about, uh, like now the big news story is like the embargo is going to be lifted on this game in you know ten mm. days. Get really hyped up. What what are they going to you know show for coverage and things like that? Where uh, again you just got a, a cover of a magazine. You saw it was Ultimate Mortal Kombat three. You knew that you needed to know everything about this. You needed to know all the moves. So when you eventually went into the arcade, you didn't just waste at then at that time fifty cents, like two quarters <laughs> to play friggin' Ultimate Mortal Kombat three. But uh, Again, I, th- those were just the, the days that uh, I really miss. We got some questions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start throwing some uh, your way. At least we, we got some comments, I should say, from Sean697. This is kind of weird. If you're posting them on YouTube, they're actually getting emailed to me. So you can post comments if you're watching the YouTube version of the stream as well, and I will uh, do my best to ask those. It uh, looks like Sean was a uh, subscriber to Mega Place as made by Sendai's, uh, also EGM. Uh, so I guess that is a couple minutes old. And uh, he says, oh, and definitely get a Sega CD. Do it. Uh, Sword can lead you to the good games. I just tried to, yeah. <laughs> it's pressure, man. Uh, let's see. Uh, Marvin Brock on Twitter. Also, this is another way you can ask questions if you want to just submit them to at back in my play. I can grab him off there as well. He said, uh, on a scale of, that's a weird question, on a scale of 13.6 to 57, how awesome was the music in Sonic? It's pretty awesome. 58. It's totally a 58. It was uh, one of the things that I really gained more respect for were the, the, the songs in the later stages of Sonic because a lot of times you go and revisit Sonic today uh, like you mentioned at the top of the show, it is you you go and you kind of play Green Hill Zone, and mm-hmm. you get that the nostalgic juices flowing. You're like, oh yeah, this is Sonic. This is what I remember. This is great, and uh, there is so much great music towards the end of the games that uh, a lot of people might not hear or they may not even remember because when they do go back to it, it's I mean, Sonic's on everything today. Whenever you, have, you like, I literally am looking around in my room. I have uh, Sonic on a cart. I have it on my PlayStation Vita. I have it on my PSP now. I have it on the PlayStation 3 via download and with the Sonic's Ultimate Genesis collection. Uh, it is all over the place. Uh, so 
I don't know where I'm going with that either. I'm lost <laughs> losing my train of thought. Maybe because it's like almost nine o'clock. I don't know. Way past bedtime. No, no I just you're... gave up my caffeine a little bit too early today. You're right. I mean, it, that was just one of the other things that they did absolutely right with Sonic. I mean, it was it, the music is on a whole other level. It's you know, Sega did good music in a lot of their games. I mean, you look at something like Outrun, um, and the the music in that game is fantastic. But yeah, the music in the first Sonic and the second Sonic. I forget. You probably know this better than I do. The name of the composer was a member of a band. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, sorry, I, I am uh, losing track off the the top of my head, but. Uh, I can pull it up as I have my uh, outline in front of me from the other episode. Uh, what one of the thing I wanted to ask you while I'm looking that up? What, what are there any solid facts to the whole Michael Jackson working on Sonic Three and Knuckles? Are are there any? Is there any concrete information that we know he did some stuff for that? Um, I. I spoke to somebody who backed that up, but okay. uh, I that that interview's never been published. Okay. So I can't go any further than that. But uh, even then, the, the backup was that yeah, they thought that that was the case. Okay. So yeah. Uh, the composer was uh, Masato Nakamura, and yes. again, his claim to fame was uh, being a member in the J-pop band Dreams Come True. Which I'm sure was very popular. Which they uh, went on tour at the end of 1990, and the way that tour was announced was using Sonic. What? The first time this, the character was unveiled in a magazine was in a uh, like a Sega newsletter of some sort in uh, Japan, mm-hmm. and and Dreams Come True's tour was starting, and it was announced with Sonic. They used Sonic to announce it. He was on the tour bus. They did a mock interview with the character in that magazine. I think the next issue, that was Sonic's debut. Uh, another thing that really bugs me about not being from Japan or living in Japan is that they uh, released for, for the anniversary a uh, two-disc collection that included the soundtrack for Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2 and also um, a whole separate CD with unreleased uh, beta music where you can listen to some tracks that are a little bit slowed down. You can see they uh, fine-tune some of these tracks to fit the game a little bit better with its high speed, but uh, you can find it if you know where to find stuff that is not for sale. <laughs> because if you want to go... On the internet? I, I tried, yeah, I tried to look and see if I could get a retail copy, but you're talking about close to $100. Like, Good every Lord. soundtrack that came out in Japan, everything is like $100 now. So uh, it's worth listening to, and you can just listen to the tracks on YouTube if you really want to. The other thing is, too, uh, for anybody who likes that old Sonic music, um, the Sonic Generation soundtrack... Um, because they did remixes and updates on a lot of the... I mean, they did Green Hill Zone and then the Chemical Plant Zone as well, which is also another great track. Um, And the remixes are pretty damn good on that as well. That's a game that I need to finish. It's still uh, something I also own on two platforms for some reason because that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Let's continue uh, going through some of the questions. Again, uh, we have a couple people just jumping on right now. Uh, If you want to submit questions, you can go to that Q&A box in the Google Hangout if you're on there, or you can submit a comment if you're watching on YouTube. The final way to do it is to go to at back in my play on Twitter, and I will keep an eye on that as well. So uh, another thing that I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about, Greg, was uh, the the 
importance of Sonic for the success of the Genesis because you, you started off the show talking about how you know Sega was doing all right with that. Uh, Sega does was uh, what Nintendo. They had a lot of great uh, arcade ports on there. They had some great sports games. They had the names of the celebrities and things like that. But how important was Sonic when it came to uh, the Genesis actually being a success in, uh, let's just say, the Western part of the world? I think honestly, without Sonic, uh, the Genesis doesn't doesn't even crack like uh, 15% market share in North America. Um, because, I mean, he, that game was the catalyst for so many things. Um, it was it was a huge seller here. Actually, it was a, I believe it was a bigger seller in North America than it was in Japan. Um, and, you know, it just blew the doors wide open, not only f- for as far as getting third parties involved because the system was selling so well, but also even um, getting the uh, North American development arm of Sega up and running. I mean, STI, I don't know if Sega Technical Institute was happening before or after Sonic was released. I believe it was before. It was headed by Mark Cerny, who people rec- probably know right now because of the PlayStation 4. Um, but, I mean, they would not have gotten the power they got if, if the Genesis wasn't doing so well in North America, and the Genesis wouldn't have done as well in North America if it wasn't for Sonic. That's really the long and short of it. I, I need to address the whole Game Gear uh, subject, <laughs> because... Sonic had a really weird life on the Game Gear. It wasn't, I guess it was used to, to sell Game Gears because they used Sonic 2 as a pack-in, and I think Sonic 1 was also uh, used as, as a pack-in at the beginning. But Sonic had a real up-and-down life on, on the Game Gear. Sonic 1 seemed to be great. Sonic 2 was kind of garbage, and I uh, remember getting Sonic Triple Trouble and it being awesome. Uh, so I was just wondering, any thoughts on, on Sonic's adventures on the Game Gear? Um, I didn't play a ton of that because I never had a Game Gear, but I do know that, um, I remember you talking about that on the last uh, episode of Back in My Play, and the thing that really explains that away is the developers. Um, the first game, I believe, was developed by Ancient, which uh, was um, Yuzo Koshiro's company, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know if it was his company, but he was involved. He did, the, he did a lot of the music in that game as well. Um, the second game, I don't know. The second and third games, I don't know who they were developed by, but I know that the group that did the second game, I don't think they ever did another Sonic game. And the group that did the third game, I want to say it was Dimps, maybe? or Anyway, they ended up doing a bunch of the Sonic games after that. So uh, it's not surprising that you remember them that way because, um, yeah, it's it's pretty common knowledge that the second game was garbage. But the third game, it just kind of got better and better. And apparently, after that, like the Tales game that came out, they all got better and better for a That's while there. Right, I totally forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Jeez, and unfortunately, Game Gears today, if you have, if you pick one up, they are uh, really hit and miss in terms of the screens actually being uh, viewable because of the backlight kind of degrading over time. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, three yes is where you're gonna have to hit that stuff up, and thankfully, they do have that stuff on there if you want to. I don't it don't buy Sonic 2 on the Game Gear uh, <laughs> because I'm sure it's all the stuff for the Game Gear games are reasonably pl- priced on the 3DS. I think they're only like 4 bucks too. Yeah, something like that. So it's it's definitely worth checking out uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. It's really obviously the the Master System version and uh, Triple Trouble. The bad thing about all this stuff is when the Master System was gigantic in uh, countries like Brazil that's what they got for Sonic 2. That's a huge bummer. 
<laughs> those guys really like uh, did not win the lottery with that. I think because of Brazil, the Master System was like one of the longest running consoles in history. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think they were selling it in Brazil up to like 98 or 99. So uh, let's continue to talk a little bit uh, more about Sonic because literally uh, a little bit over a year later, Sonic 2 came hot and heavy. You had Sonic Tuesdays and uh, obviously a lot of hype built up with it because Sonic 1 was such a big hit and uh, Sega was really betting, at least it seems like they're really betting hard on Sonic 2 uh, to be the big holiday push for the Sega Genesis. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on just really Sonic 2 in general and maybe if that uh, had any more uh, if that was any more important than the original Sonic the Hedgehog for the Genesis's success, I think you could say it's more important because I think it's the I think it's the best-selling Genesis game of all time. Um, it was it was the one that you know I mean Sonic broke the doors open, but the Sonic Two opened the floodgates. But um, the thing that interests me more about Sonic Two is actually the story behind the development of that is like just as uh, dramatic as the first one. Because the, the way the story goes is that um, before Sonic 1 was done, Mark Cerny was setting up uh, Sega Technical Institute. Um, and Mark Cerny, like I said, people know him right now because of the PS4, but he's been around a long time. He worked at Atari when he was very young. He created Marble Madness uh, in the arcade. And after that, he actually went to Sega of Japan. He worked in Sega of Japan. He's actually the guy who uh, was the catalyst for the 3D glasses on the Master System. And he worked with uh, Yuji Naka while he was there in Japan um, on Master System games. So anyway, he was back in the U.S. He was creating this this uh, American branch that ended up being called the Sega Technical Institute. And his vision for that was to bring in raw talent, American talent, uh, so that they would bring like a Western sensibility to the game development at Sega, but to temper them with uh, veterans from Japan so that they could kind of learn from each other. The veterans could learn sort of the Western sensibilities, and these raw kids that were uh, programming out of the U.S. could learn their craft from the masters from Japan. And apparently he'd already convinced Yasuhara to move to the U.S. in San Francisco to, to be part of the Second Technical Institute. Anyway, Sonic came out. It was a huge hit, and apparently Yuji Naka was still getting crap from management in Japan about the fact that the game didn't actually meet its deadline. The game came out later than it was supposed to. Um, and he quit. He quit over it. He left Sega. Uh, when Cerny heard this, he apparently went to Naka and said, don't quit. Come to America, and we'll make games over here at Sega Technical Institute, and you'll have a lot more autonomy and power and control over what you're doing. Um, so he did. He decided to come over. So, of course, Cerny had put together two of the three-person team that everyone considered Sonic Team. Yasuhara and Naka were both in the U.S. Uh, uh, Oshima was still in uh, Japan. And apparently what happened after that was they he, Cerny went to Sega and said, okay, so you want Sonic 2? At which point Sega said, no, it's too early. We don't need another one. Two months later, apparently, they came back and said, we really need Sonic 2 for the next holiday season. So it was like a nine-month cycle. So this is where Sega Technical Institute slash Sonic Team US sort of was created. And so that also explains why, if you if you look at Sonic 2, I'm not going to say it's an uneven experience, but it's definitely a different experience. I mean, the, the base mechanics are still the same, but I, I find, especially with the art and the level design, it's 
at certain levels are like a dramatic departure from what Sonic 1 was. And I chalk that up personally to the American influence uh, on Sonic Team for the second game. Um, and personally, I'm a bigger fan of the first Sonic game. Uh, Sonic 2 is really good. I like Sonic 1 a lot better. I was playing it again last night after you and I spoke about doing this tonight. And um, I do dig Sonic 2, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a bigger Sonic 1 fan. Sorry, I was going to say, uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, we don't have to hit on this too, too hard. You guys talked about it on the, the Player One podcast. I think it was uh, two weeks ago, but we, we mentioned it on the episode last week because it was... Uh, part of uh, the the news cycle oh, no. with Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, I've, I'm sorry, I have to kind of bring this up. Um, but there was an article written uh, for the Guardian, uh, more or less saying that uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, those games were were actually never good. And it's not just in hindsight; even back then, they were bad. Uh, I did some some serious research, and I looked on Metacritic, and those games did all right. I mean, they, they got in the high 80s and whatever. I don't know where how Metacritic is really getting these uh, ratings from, from way back then. I'm sure they're getting their, their EGMs and their game pros and stuff like that. But, um, I, I mean, I have to ask you, it, it's really hard to justify uh, that argument just based off the fact of how successful the games were and how still uh, we're talking uh, 23-ish years later... Uh, there's still one or two Sonic games coming out every year. So if people didn't get to listen to uh, that episode of Player One Podcast, I recommend you uh, go check it out. But I was just wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on that, just because, again, it is kind of a hot topic right now. Sure. I mean, it it speaks to a larger issue that I have with um, a lot of the editorials that happen uh, nowadays. It's like, you know, when you're talking about older games, they're... To me, a lot of revisionism tends to happen, and I mean, to to a point, it's legitimate. Like you can look back at say something like Mortal Kombat, the first Mortal Kombat, and you can easily debate that that was not a good game, right? But I have an issue with people who take the opinion of I didn't like this game to say the game was never good. It's it's two different things, and it's it, I I really don't like it when someone tells me that I shouldn't have enjoyed something, you know, like especially a video game. It's the same thing with, like I said, with Mortal Kombat, and you have to take it in the context of its time. Sonic did things that weren't being done. It was a new character. It was it's so funny now because it was it was edgy and it was mature. And you look back at the way Sonic looked in '91, and he looks like a kiddie cartoon. I mean, <laughs> yep. he doesn't look edgy or mature at all, especially compared to how he looks now. Um, He's no tier one operator. <laughs> exactly. And, but it's just like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I had an issue with that article just more because I don't know how you take basically, again, the best-selling game on the Genesis, say it was never good. One of the highest-rated series on the Genesis or in the 16-bit era in general, say they were never good. You're talking millions of sales. You're talking, you're talking a series that has continued on. It spawned cartoon shows, and you know he was it, Sonic was more popular than Mickey Mouse. It was more popular than Mario for a time. You know, I mean, you can't go back and say the games were never good. That's bull. But one of the things I think you guys touched on really well in your recent episode um, on uh, back in my play was the whole idea of momentum. And I find that there's two main complaints that people who say the Sonic games were never good have. One is that you push right to win, which is bull. 
Total um, bullcrap, man. Once you get past, I'll, I'll admit, it's it's a product of the first level of the first game, right? Mm-hmm. Which you can do that in the first few levels of the first game in Green Hill Zone, more or less. I mean, it's not that simple, but you know, you are going as fast as you can to the right, and there's not you can get through without doing a whole lot of the platforming. And the fact that Sega sold those games on that fact. Because, I mean, you know, they sold how fast it was. They always showed Green Hill Zone. In Sonic 2, they sold how fast it was. They always showed Chemical Plant yep. Zone, which is the, the, the zone that you don't need to worry too much because you have these super fast areas where Sonic leaves the screen and all that stuff. But it's not true. It's it's never been true about at least the first three games. Later on, they kind of started going in that direction, I found, especially with some of the portable games. Um... The other thing is that I think people wanted it to be Mario. I think the fact that Sega came out to try to beat Mario and they were very vocal about, about the fact that it, the game was meant to beat Mario in some people's minds meant it had to be Mario, which was is wrong. It's completely wrong. The, the physics of it are totally different. And Josh mentioned on your show the idea of momentum, and that's what Sonic is built on. Sonic cannot run straight up a hill from a standing start. He can't do it. That's the way the game is built. That doesn't make it bad. You might not like it, but it's different. It's If they come out and tried to create Mario, they would have failed because Nintendo does Mario better than probably anyone ever could. you know. And, and they created a different feel for their game, and I, I think it was a success, but it has everything to do with momentum. And if you don't get that, you're not going to like the game, and that's fine, but I, I'm, I'm not a fan of saying it was never good. Yeah, I... I played through both games to completion and that was the big thing that that stood out for me was uh, you actually had to master the the physics of the game to be able to play it you can't uh, that is the worst way to go into it is expecting Mario physics because right. you're going to die a lot and you're not going to be able to finish the game and that is just a, a horrible way to to go into it I'm playing the complete I'm playing Yoshi's Island right now which is like a stark contrast to Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2. And you could you could even say, man, going into Yoshi's Island, this is super boring. Which was how Nintendo which was how Sega was marketing the whole thing back in the day, right? <laughs> I but think it's again, still it's, I think it's, it's still working wrong. on me. But Yoshi's Island is an amazing game. Oh, it's I'm having a blast. Like it's still it's the, probably the most charming game I've ever played, but right. uh, the, the it's it's just man arguments on the internet. It, it just sounded like a forum debate thing, which bums me out. Um, you can actually uh, go and get a hold of Mark Cerny on Twitter at at Mark Cerny PS4. That looks like it's his official one, and uh, ask him to uh, do a remake of Streets of Rage 2. Um, because I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I just want to. Not like a, a nicer, like a, I want a double dragon neon version of Streets of Rage oh, 2. Man. I think that would be sick. There's a game that people didn't understand, and I was one of them. Double dragon neon. I hated that game the first time I played it. Oh, but you like it now. Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> it's so great. I, 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 I downloaded it, not to keep completely off Sonic here, but I downloaded it and played it single player, and I put it down. I'm like, this is garbage. I can't believe I spent any money on this. And then a buddy, I was over to a buddy's place, and he had it, and he was t- he was going up and down about it. I'm like, that's terrible. Why do you like it? And no, 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 no. Grab a controller. We're playing, yeah. and we went through the whole game. And I'm like, this is one of the greatest beat 'em ups I've ever played. Yeah. Still, it it I had the same exact problem. I tried the demo, didn't like it. I got it on PlayStation Plus for free, and immediately had a, 
uh, I think I've made it, it, it's a hard game by yourself. Yeah, you need to have is. a buddy over to play it. That That's probably the big thing that uh, was bugging me at the beginning, but uh, the soundtrack is incredible, and all the little <laughs> mixtapes that you can pick up are just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you won't, it, it, it is a game made for people, whether you grew up playing Double Dragon or not. Uh, I, I really hope that the guys that made that game are able to go on and, and remake uh, a couple other games just because it is uh, it, it is the retro remakes that... Th- that's the kind of retro re- remake that I want to see, uh, not so much just a up-resed version or a smoothed-out version of a game that uh, I already own on 18 different platforms. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, we're, let's uh, we'll, we'll start wrapping things up. We're about forty-five minutes in. I think that's a good time to uh, cap this off. For for people, if you guys are digging this stuff, uh, I'll try to do uh, a couple more of these, and this will be in our iTunes feed for uh, back in my place. You can get a little bit. If two and a half hours of Sonic was not enough, <laughs> here's an extra forty-five minutes uh, of Sonic the Hedgehog. But uh, before we get going, the last thing I want to ask you is. Uh, Sonic past the the Genesis um, has kind of been hit and miss. I'm one of the people that uh, I'm one of the one of the I don't know I guess the few people these days that liked Sonic Adventure at least and uh, got me to buy a Sega Dreamcast. But a lot of people out there uh, ever say ever since Sonic went 3D and uh, more open world, not side scrolling, uh, things have fallen apart. Are there any of the 3D games that you would recommend out there to people? Are there any that you could you would say, hey, you know what? Actually, you should pick this up. You should give it a shot. It's still a really good game. I um I was a big fan of Sonic Adventure. Um, I feel like if you go back to it now, it's it's a little bit harder to play. Um, kind of the way any 3D game really is. I mean, if you one of the only early 3D console games that really stands the test of time is Mario 64. Uh, Nintendo somehow got that right right from the start, and I don't know how they did it. But like you look at things like Sonic uh, Adventure or something like Tomb Raider, which Tomb Raider, for me, played fine when it came out. Now it's a clunky mess to play, but um, not to get off topic too much. I loved Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure 2 was okay, except they took the... the, the um, they took too much time away from Sonic and had you playing a lot of shooting and uh, scavenger hunt levels. Um, other than that, honestly, I have not been a fan of much of anything outside of Sonic Generations. You don't um, revisit Shadow of the Hedgehog, you know, every year? Uh, uh, Shadow of the Hedgehog. Just do a quick playthrough? Yeah. Did you have yeah. to review that or anything like that? Did you I did, actually, play? yeah. Holy I couldn't tell what I gave it, but I, told, I know I didn't like it. Um, that game was done basically because they wanted to Gives, they wanted to add shooting. People had been begging. Apparently, they said they got a lot of mail begging them to add shooting to Sonic, but they couldn't give Sonic a gun. They didn't feel okay with that, so they decided to give Shadow a gun instead. That makes and, so uh, much yeah. sense. And the other thing that I, I really haven't... And, and Sonic Adventure started this. One of the other things that... Um, I, don't, I don't know if a lot of people know, but the original backstory for the first Sonic um, was supposed to be him going after his his girlfriend, I believe. His girlfriend was somebody named Madonna. And I'm not making this up. It was a human woman named Madonna, and Sonic was in a band. That was the big thing. Um, wow. That There's two different stories. Say, I forget the name of the marketing woman at Sega of America, but at Sega of America, they basically killed that story, they said. They, they saw the whole, you know, beast, human, love thing. It's like, that's not going to fly here. 
Um, if Yuji they Naka only has, waited for the internet. When yeah, the internet exactly. Came out and now there's whole communities for that stuff. And Yuji Naka has since gone on record saying, "No, we killed it before it ever got to the U.S. Anyway." But yeah, so there was this whole sort of Sonic has a human girlfriend aspect that they kind of. I'm so glad they went away from because the first few Sonic games, he he's in his own world, right? Like everything's cutesy and there's little animals jumping around and robots. Doctor Robotnik might be human, but he's obviously not. Um, but then with Sonic Adventure, suddenly Sonic's back in a human world again, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And it's it's a direction I've never liked seeing the series go. Uh, with like Sonic 2006 was one of the worst examples of it with the whole I think there was a kiss scene at the end I can't remember but yeah that's one of the things they, they feel like they've really lost their way in a lot of ways with that series um, Generations made me happy and some of the portable games have been really good the Sonic Advance games were fun um, Sonic Pocket Adventure on the Neo Geo Pocket was good um, but in Sonic Rush as well but yeah they, it's been way too hit and miss I I've long since gotten past the point where I'll buy a game because Sonic's on the cover. So how do you feel about Sonic Boom coming out? I think it's coming out this fall. Um, I'll give it a chance because it's a new development group, but <laughs> I'm definitely not crazy about those character designs. Yeah, that's that's probably the, the oddest thing. I mean, it looks like a cartoon for kids, and clearly they're also making a cartoon for kids. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, well, what's the worst that can happen? We always have our, you know, 18 versions of Sonic 1, 2, and 3 and CD on everything that we own. How many copies of Sonic 1 do you think you own? Oh my god. Um, if you had to just guess off the top of your head, you, you probably obviously... Probably Wow, okay. Yeah. That's, that's more than me. Um, yeah, it's too many. Did you ever play it on the uh, iPod? No, I never had a clicky iPod. Um, Ethan Einhorn, I know you mentioned it back in my on back in my play. Oh, yeah. uh, as a friend, and he, I remember the day he got it for his his old iPod, and and tried to tell me that it was playable. I didn't believe him. He was selling that hard at the time. <laughs> I, I remember hearing him on something, being like, "Oh yeah, you know, it's like pixel perfect. We got it down." It's, it's, oh, I'm it's sure it looked gorgeous, but yeah, playing with that wheel, no thanks. <laughs> Uh, we got one more question uh, before uh, we let you go because this is a game I don't know a lot about. Uh, Sean wanted to know, what are your thoughts on Sonic R on the Saturn and uh, why uh, we never got a true Sonic game on the Sega Saturn? Um, well, we never got a true Sonic game on the Sega Saturn. I think it had everything to do with uh, that rift that was <clears throat> growing between Sega of America and Sega of Japan. Um, there was obviously... Uh, Wow, I can't... I'm totally blanking on the name, but there was Sonic Extreme. Yeah. Um, under development at Sega Technical Institute, which I think got killed right around the same time that Sega Technical Institute got folded back into Sega proper. Um, but, you know, there, there are stories, if you go back to Sonic 2 on the Genesis, um, a lot of bad blood between the American and uh, Japanese developers on that team, um, and a lot of accusations of, you know... There were like four or five levels that got cut from that game. Um, the Hidden Palace Zone being the one that everybody knows about. Um, and you, most times you'll hear the American developers saying like, yeah, we realized that cuts had to be made for time and space and everything, but it always seemed like it was the American stuff that was getting cut. Um, and I think once you saw, you know, Naka went back to Sega of Japan after that as well. And I think when the power started to shift, I'm curious if Sonic Extreme ever really even had a chance. Um, yeah. So, 
there was that. Um, I think also they were working on something like a Sonic Adventure for the Saturn, if I'm not mistaken, but the system was killed and, and the Dreamcast came out and it was ported over to the Dreamcast as sort of its selling point. Sonic R... I loved Sonic R. <laughs> um, it's, What's the it's, selling point of Sonic R? Obviously, it's, it's, from what I remember, it's just it's just like Sonic and his friends running really fast, right? That's all it is. It's a racing game. Okay. But the thing is, is that it's not... I mean, there are prescribed tracks and you have to do laps and everything, but there were tons of um, different directions you could go on the tracks. Um, you didn't have to stay right on the course. You could run around. So it kind of had this sort of strange platforming sensibility, kind of like the Sonic games have always had, because I mean, that, one of the nice things, especially with the Genesis games, is like, there isn't one path through the level. In fact, especially with Sonic 2, there's a lot of verticality in those levels, and uh, you, you guys were talking about on Back in My Play, where you wanted to stay up high, so you didn't have to worry about a lot of the, the dangers on the ground. And they kind of shifted that sensibility into this 3D racing game with Sonic R, um, which is one of the things I loved about it. That and the soundtrack was incredibly goofy. Uh, and, and just amazing. Still one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Um, the game's really hard to play now. It's kind of hard to take. It doesn't look very good. It controls... It's really loose is the only best, the best way to describe it. Like, it doesn't feel like they're re, the characters are reacting to your, your input as well as they should. But back when it came out... Maybe I was just starved for a Sonic game, but I was crazy about that game. I loved it. The atmosphere, and it was so goofy and silly that I just couldn't help but love it. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, wasn't it ported to? Oh, it, yeah, it was ported. Was it ported to Xbox Live and PSN or something like that? I think so. Yeah, it was on PC as well. Okay, maybe that's. So I think what it was the PC version. Usually, when you saw those ports to Xbox and PSN, it was like the PC version that was getting ported. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Well, I think that is a, a great point to leave it for. Uh, whatever this is going to be. I don't know if this is going to be like back in my play hangouts or, or what, but uh, this was a ton of fun. It allowed me to uh, do another interview, which I'm really having a blast doing. So uh, before we do go, if you're watching this live or really soon, uh, you can still go to Teespring. Let me just make sure I have this link correct. Uh, teespring.com slash back in my play portable to pick up a uh, portable version of our logo on a really comfortable t-shirt for about $16. And uh, as always, you can check us out at, at Back of My Play and subscribe on iTunes. We got a really interesting uh, review on iTunes that uh, I think is just, this is just some great internet stuff. I, I don't know if you ever read the reviews for, for Player One Podcast. Oh, I, yeah. I, I never tried to. Um, <laughs> For, for any of my podcasting stuff just because you always have the interesting uh, reviews on there. But I just wanted to give this guy a shout-out because uh, it really set out to me. But he said, uh, the review is titled, Good Music. These guys remember every detail games. This is word for word. Uh, these guys remember every detail games they played when they were infants. Good research in music, but I can't believe the rest. <laughs> what are you talking about? What can you not believe? It says good research in music, but he doesn't believe our, I guess he doesn't believe the stories that I'm totally making up everything I say on the podcast, I guess. Uh, but that's for Retro Digital. Uh, I hope you're still listening. And uh, I promise you this is 100% true. You can vet it if you want. Um, I will be willing to back anything uh, that I can up with witnesses that were also... 
uh, around at the time, but I don't think many people gave a crap about video games as much as I did when I was a kid, uh, at least <laughs> the people that were around me. So, uh, Greg, uh, where can people check you out? Uh, obviously, they can follow you on Twitter, and you guys are at uh, P1 Podcast for the Player One Podcast. Yeah, and my personal Twitter account is uh, at Seward, S-E-W-A-R-T. Um, you can hear our weekly show, uh, the Player One Podcast, which is at uh, playeronepodcast.com. Um, and for Generation 16, uh, you can just we have our, I have my own website now for that, so it's generation-16.com. Uh, you can find links to the 11 episodes that exist so far, as well as semi-regular updates on the, uh, the how the 12th episode is doing, which is taking a little longer than I'd hoped, but it's turning out to be probably the biggest episode I've done so far. So uh, come check it out. I really would love to hear some feedback and uh, hope that you enjoy what you see. Yeah, absolutely. Give them a look. If you're into Sega Genesis or Sega in general, if you are late to the party when it comes to the Genesis, uh, A, it's going to be just bad because you're going to start going on eBay like I do every time I see an episode and be like, oh, I don't know what that game is. Let me see how much it is. Oh, it's only like $10 on eBay. Of course I'm going to buy it because Genesis stuff is still really cheap. Uh, yep. And uh, also, it's great that you, you put the time and the effort into it so they're really well produced. So uh, definitely give them a look and uh, definitely, they they get my uh, thumbs up, my back in my play recommendation, seal of approval, whatever. So, thanks. Uh, definitely, yeah, give that stuff a look. And uh, Greg's gonna be back on soon to be talking about Metal Storm a week after uh, this upcoming week. So we're gonna have to do back to back Nintendo. But this means that you're gonna uh, have something to say about Nintendo and not just Sega this week. That's gonna be awesome. Hopefully, you're gonna like actually know this game, unlike. CJ, um, uh, I'm, you guys I'm keep hard. giving him crap for that, man. It was hard though, man. I'm trying to play it. I'm like, man, I need, I need some codes or something to get through this because you do need codes. You need, uh, I don't. It's too far away, but I have my game genie. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do the same. <laughs> Use it. It's what I would have used. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will document the the usage of the the game genie as well. So, uh, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to everyone that that joined us and for submitting questions. Hopefully, this is just the beginning of uh, kind of a a trend, maybe once every other week thing, just to uh, do a follow up with someone that wasn't on the show, or to go a little bit more in depth into the history of a specific game, or maybe just to talk to great people like Greg. So, uh, again, thank you everyone. Thank you, Greg, and. Uh, Have a good night. Uh, We will see you next time. Thank you.